We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. I've been bouncing back and forth in my mind uh, between doing the scripture reading and saying some other words, and I've decided that I'm going to say some other words uh, than the scripture reading this morning, which would be from Ezekiel 42. I'd like to just hold that for next time, God willing. I think it's more appropriate for me to just touch on this uh, special occasion that we have today with the baptism. And I didn't plan to preach a whole message on uh, Christian baptism, although I could happily and uh, very profitably, I'm sure, do that. But I'll just give you a few uh, bullet points from our notes that we shared with the young people in our baptism class. The definition that I uh, put in my notes for them is water baptism is a command of Jesus for Christian believers. It expresses union with him by immersion in water. It's done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It does not work that union. It expresses the truth of it underlying. And uh, so we answered with the young people a number of questions. Who can be baptized? When? How? Why? And that sort of thing. And so we looked carefully at the question about who should be baptized. And I gave them all a copy of these notes, and I want them to hang on to those amongst their important documents, because there will come some day when they look back when they're 20 or 25 or 19 or 30 and say, now what really happened? What was I taught? What did I understand? And I made sure that each one of our young people understood what we're talking about when we talk about Christian baptism. Of course, we made sure that they give a good testimony of saving faith in Christ. And in fact, we wrote their testimonies out together in our baptism class. And I have a copy of those over here uh, for us to use uh, during the service uh, at the end here this, uh, this, this morning, um, which is very important to those young people because they want to have those cheat sheets there to be able to read from. <laughs> I imagine if they're like I was when I was baptized at a slightly older age than them, that they might be feeling a little bit nervous today, chewing their fingernails, for example. (laughs) Uh, But uh, you need not to be that way. Uh, It it is, although, an important day. And for me, it's a day of uh, excitement and uh, a little different than a normal kind of Sunday because, you know, we last had this uh, 18 months ago or 20 months ago or 22, whatever it was, but, um, and uh, so it doesn't, it's not an every Sunday occurrence. Would to God that it would be, but then we would need a bigger church building because we'd be adding a lot more people to the, to the uh, local assembly of uh, people attending and members. But who should be baptized is, the answer to that question is all who have true saving faith in Jesus Christ and only those who have such faith. So we want to encompass everybody, but we don't want to make the the net too large is what we're saying there. And so we we know a number of passages from Scripture in the book of Acts, especially where we see 
people were believers first and then they were baptized. For instance, in Acts 2.41, in the very opening day of the church, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. They had to receive the word first to be baptized. Acts chapter 8, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. This, by the way, is why we don't take the covenantal view that baptism corresponds to Old Testament circumcision because that was only for males. Baptism is for men and women in the faith. Acts 8.35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him at this scripture, that was Isaiah. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the, the official, the Ethiopian eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? You know, that's one of the things that I look for in a baptism candidate. Do they desire independently of me or of anyone else to be baptized? Because that is uh, an evidence of the work of the Spirit of God, I believe, in their lives. People don't come to me and say, I'd like to be baptized very often. (laughs) But these young people have indicated that interest, and uh, persistently so in a couple of the cases. And I thank God for that. So the Ethiopian official asks to be baptized, so he uh, commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he, that is Philip, baptized the Ethiopian. And so the Ethiopian believed what Philip was telling him and then was baptized. Acts chapter 9, Paul says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Remember on the road to Damascus. And uh, he was told, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And then a few verses later in Acts 9, 18, the Lord, immediately it says, there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. And he rose and what did he do? He was baptized, the Bible tells us. He had several days to ponder over what had happened to him and really think about his belief in the Lord. Acts 10.47, Peter goes to the Gentiles. Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Well, they received the Spirit. What does that mean? They believed before that, and then they were baptized subsequent to that. So we, we went over those and other verses carefully and studied that. So all who were baptized first heard the message, and believed in Christ, and therefore the New Testament teaches that baptism is for only those that believe first, first believe in Jesus. Now, how can you do that if you haven't done so? I'll give you a three-letter acrostic, very easy, ABC. Admit that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's the Son of God, that he died for your sins and that he rose again from the dead. And that's the form of the question that I think I'm going to ask the uh, young people today. When we uh, do the baptism, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and do you believe that God raised him from the dead? And when they answer yes, then I will say on that profession of faith, I'll baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Believe that Christ is Lord, the Son of God, and that believing you would have life in his name. And then finally, see... Admit, believe, and see, call on the name of the Lord to save you. Just do this by praying. You can tell the Lord that you admit you're a sinner. You believe that he died for your sins and rose again. And you thank him for forgiving you, promising to forgive you if you believe. And then you become a new person. And uh, really the first act of belief, the first evidence, if you will, or outward action of profession of faith is in the scriptures is baptism, by which you are publicly testifying 
that you are now one of the people of God. You do so to obey Jesus because he says in Matthew 28 to his disciples, I want you to go and make disciples and then do what? Baptize them and then instruct them in all the things that I have taught to you to obey those things. And and so this is to give a public testimony that you identify yourself with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection and that you're part of his family, the church. This is rich with symbolism, isn't it? You go down into the water. It's as if you've died with Christ. And the water symbolizing the cleansing that happens when you became saved before and then coming up out of the water, you're in the picture form, raised to new life, a new life with Jesus Christ. And uh, that's a blessing, a superb blessing to just see our young people want to do that, several of them today. So we were very clear with our young people that it's not to be saved. It's not to have your sins washed away. Look at that water. Uh, just came from the city of Ann Arbor out of wherever the Huron River. It has no special spiritual qualities. It cannot wash away your sin. First Peter is very clear about this. Baptism does not wash away uh, sin, doesn't wash away the filth of the flesh. Only the blood of Christ can do that, and that is once applied into the life of a new believer when they come to faith in him. No work is required because God has done all the work in Christ. Um, Let me answer a couple of other questions. When? Well, soon after you become a Christian, you should be baptized. If you've become a Christian, I'll talk to myself. Reversing in my mind uh, some decades, I was a believer for a long while before I was baptized, and I had all kinds of reasons that I didn't think that I should be baptized yet, and I was shy, and I was scared and nervous, and I can't talk in front of people and all of that sort of thing, but uh, you know what? God uh, broke through all of that. Um, When? It should be soon after you become a Christian, but only when you understand what baptism means. Um, How? How should you be baptized? Well, you see here, we have a, I think it's about a 250-gallon, eight-foot-long horse trough, and uh, by the way, it's showing its age a little bit. I see a little bit of water seeping out from underneath it right now, so I need somebody skilled in welding to help us correct that problem. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, to, it mean, to baptize means to immerse. It means to dip. It means to dunk. Uh, it doesn't mean to sprinkle or to pour. The New Testament does know how to use those words, sprinkle and pour. In fact, yesterday I verified that, looked up all the occurrences in the New Testament of both sprinkling and pouring, but it never uses it with regard to baptism. You see in John chapter uh, 3, John the Baptist was baptizing uh, in Anon near Salim. Why? The Bible tells us why. Because there was much water there. Very clear. Uh, We saw Ethiopian eunuch and Philip go down into the water and be baptized. And this is the best way to symbolize the believer's death with Christ and resurrection to new life. Now, here's one that we might be a little uh, less clear on. Where should I be baptized? Where? Um, I appreciate Baptist church theology about the answer to this question because I believe that because the Lord has said to make disciples and to baptize them and to then teach them, he's he's implying that we're gathering into churches in order to do that. And so 
the physical location doesn't really matter. It could be a lake, a river, a baptismal tank, and a church, a more traditional design church, or it could be a horse trough. But the most important thing is not the physical location, is this, that baptism should normally be done where a church family is gathered to observe the occurrence and to rejoice with the person. Like the Lord's table, baptism is a command of the church for the church to participate in, and the church should be one that has true biblical teaching. Okay, So pay attention, guys. All right. Um, So where should you be baptized? In a church. Well, I'm going to stop there with that. We have more we could say, but um, I want to just remind you of that and and use that opportunity to share the gospel again with all of us. Because I know some of our young people that haven't been baptized, maybe some aren't sure if they're truly saved yet, and uh, this will be an opportunity, a very important opportunity for us to see uh, God's work in the life of uh, some young people in our church. So uh, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Jonah, please, as I want to move us along here. Uh, Jonah and the second chapter now. Obadiah, and then Jonah, and then Micah. We're going we're gonna to learn where these minor prophets are one way or the other. No by repetition. I trust the Lord will help us. Uh, last uh, week I titled my message, Jonah and the Fish. This week's message is Jonah in the Fish. So I only had to change one word for the title. Well, uh, poor Jonah. The account of Jonah's trip from Gath-Hefer, where he was at the beginning, uh, to Joppa, to the boat on the Mediterranean, to the storm, is the sad story of a man who knew God but disobeyed him. And we've tried to emphasize uh, that, you know, even from the perspective of unbelieving pagans, that that was foolishness. If you say you believe in the God of the uh, heaven who created the sea and the dry land, what are you doing disobeying him, Jonah? And then things, if they weren't bad enough, were deteriorating and becoming even worse. From the boat, as you know from last time, he was thrown into the water. How long he floated or not, we don't know. But it seems from the prayer that we gather that he had a serious struggle to survive, and uh, it's not clear to me what you know how long he was out in the water before the fish uh, brought him, but he had uh, or ca- captured him, if you will. Uh, that's interesting, by the way. It wasn't a, a man catching a fish; it was a fish catching a man. Um, but you look at the words of this prayer in chapter two, and you just become horrified. Our imagination is stretched to think of how utterly awful the condition was that he was enduring while thinking about and making this prayer, a condition which would kill most people within minutes or make them wish that they were dead within minutes. The choking, the drowning, the smell, the dark, the claustrophobia, the slimy, acidic environment. I don't know, you probably can think of some other cool adjectives to throw at this, but man, this is nasty. It's beyond wretched. And so in chapter 2, Jonah prays, and, and the reason I've highlighted the wretchedness of this is that 
There may be times in your life when you feel quite wretched. You have to be hospitalized. You're sick at home in bed, and you just feel like dying. Uh, you're going to come to the end of your life at some time, and it's not going to be necessarily the most pleasant thing. What are you going to do in your affliction? And so the truth that I wanted to convey is when in distress, cry out to God and reaffirm your trust in him. Watch how Jonah does this in chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. There's the trust expressed by Jonah. Verse 5, the water surrounded me even to my soul as he goes to rehearse what has happened in the prior two verses. He says it again, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. Sometimes if all you can cry out is, O Lord, my God, that's okay as long as you mean it and it's not meant in vain. Verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed, salvation, is of the Lord. There's another one you can remember. Very easy, just a few words. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. He was there for three days and three nights, uh, parts thereof. Uh, I was thinking about that because we get into this question about, well, was it exactly 72 hours? And We don't have to be so pedantic about it. I mean, look at the Lord Jesus. If he did die on Friday, he was in the grave and part of Friday, all of Saturday, part of Sunday, there's three days. Um, Just like you would say, if you had some acute illness that came upon you, you know, your uh, appendix needs to be taken out and say you go into the hospital on Tuesday late afternoon and you're there all day Wednesday and you get out Thursday morning, and then you go home and you say, man, I was, I was in the hospital for three days. And somebody says, well, actually, it was only, you know, 43 hours. Well, Tuesday, you were miserable. Wednesday, you were miserable. And Thursday, you were just getting out of the hospital. That's close enough to three days. We get the point. So Jonah would certainly have a justification to say, I was in the fish and in the sea for three days and three nights. What an amazing situation. We start with the cry of the afflicted soul. It says in verse 2, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. That was the cause of his crying out to God. Sometimes God brings affliction into our lives because he wants to hear from us. Maybe you say, well, I, I, you know, God hears from me a lot. That's great. He still might bring affliction into your life so that he can hear from you in a different way. Um, affliction should always cause us to turn to God. 
The nation of Israel should have learned this lesson, Isaiah 30, a passage you want to remember. The Bible talks about Israel going down to Egypt. Look, they've been rescued out of Egypt. They don't need to go back down to Egypt. They were going back there trusting in their military might of of their neighbor to protect them from their surrounding uh, evil enemies. And uh, God says, why do you go down there? Jeremiah, the same thing. These people said, should we go down to Egypt or stay here? Jeremiah says, stay here. They say, no, we're going down to Egypt anyway. And they got the punishment of God for being disobedient that way. I thought also of Asa. Asa, who was an otherwise godly king in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, which I think we're reading tonight maybe, um, he uh, was diseased in his feet. And the Bible says he sought the physicians, but he did not seek God in the midst of his illness. And so we have a number of examples of that. Uh, you have Hezekiah also. What happened? Isaiah told Hezekiah, look, set your house in order for you will die. And he was in, in his sick bed and he turned over in his bed and he cried out to God. And God spared him and gave him an extra time of life, 15 more years. Jonah says, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. He answered me. It's a common refrain in the Psalms and other places when you cry out to God. Can you testify of a time you've cried out to God and he's answered you? He's answered you? Say that to your kids. Say that to your neighbors. I cried out to God and he answered me. He provided a a way of escape from my temptations or this difficult situation or provided, you know, when we had this bad thing occur to us or whatever. Tell others of that. That's what Jonah is doing. I cried to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. He answers God does somehow, some way, at some time in your prayers. And then in a parallel statement, Jonah says again that he cried out to God and God heard him. Look at verse, um, well, the rest of verse 2. It says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, there's the I cried again, and you heard my voice. Now, you might scratch your head and say, how did that happen? How did God hear his voice? Wasn't Jonah in sin? Wasn't he running away from God? Well, even though he was quite a distance from where he was supposed to be, his running had stopped. It was over. That phase of his life was done. Jonah called to God out of where? The belly, doesn't say the belly of the fish. It says the belly of Sheol. Some take to mean, this to mean that he was dead. Sheol is often used in connection with death because it represents the grave and all that that represents. And thus, it's, it's kind of the entry portal into the realm of the dead. Uh, Psalm 16, you will not leave my soul in Sheol. But, you know, that's a prophecy we know that was fulfilled with the Lord. Proverbs 1.11 talks about those evil people who... Uh, plan to swallow up the innocent victims just like Sheol, to swallow them up alive. But it's a word, Sheol is a word also used by people who are in fear of imminent death and not yet there. So let me give you an example of that in Second Samuel in a, a portion of Scripture that you'll find familiar if you've been reading in the Psalms as well. In Second Samuel 22, Um, It says, David spoke to the Lord the words of the song in the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and refuge, 
my Savior, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Now listen, when the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. You see those same words there, floods, waves that we're looking at in Jonah. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry entered his ears. God heard the cry of this David, and and so likewise he did for Jonah. Now, I don't believe that Jonah died because I don't see enough evidence for that in the text here. Jonah seems alive enough while he's praying. Now, I grant this did become a sign. Jonah's life in this episode became a sign for a future generation, Matthew 12, 40, that where Jesus said, you know, no sign is going to be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah as he was three days, three nights in the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, But it's a likeness of a sign. It's not an an exact replica or equivalent to what Jesus did in dying and rising again. By the way, I notice interestingly, there's another sign of Jonah that the Lord uses. And he says that Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites. That's a different sign than the sign of him being in the fish, although related because I suspect that him being in the fish affected his ministry or maybe his physical appearance while he was there in Nineveh. But he became a sign to the Ninevites, and the Lord Jesus was like that as well. He's a sign to a bunch of unbelieving people uh, later on, but we won't go there in the New Testament today. So in any case, people up on the top side of the ocean, those who were in the skimmers, so to speak, you know what I'm talking about, brother, you Navy fellows, uh, certainly looked at Jonah as if he was a dead man. Yes, he certainly seemed as good as dead. And then he was brought back to the land of the living. And that's the extent of the likeness in my view. He looked like he was a goner. God brought him back. But if it is true that he died and God raised him, the sign is all the more fitting. Yet, again, I say the evidence is fairly scant for Jonah passing away. Jonah seems to have had some conscious awareness of his dire situation, although he's summarized a few days of time in a very short prayer here. And you can imagine, because it was probably all the same over and over again, the drowning and the choking and the sliminess and the acid and the air and the everything, just, the, just a disaster. But Jonah recognizes ultimately, who put him in the situation. He doesn't blame the men on the boat for throwing him in. Notice what he says in verse 3. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Who did it? God did it. Ultimately, God did it. Now, I don't sense that Jonah is mad at God, however. He's not blaming God for doing something wrong to him. Instead, what we see from 112, if you look back there, He says, I know that this great tempest is because of me. That's repentance. He's indicated, I know, I've messed up. This is a sin. He's repented before God. God has thrown me overboard, as it were, not those men. He knows that God is disciplining him for his outright disobedience. He knows it, and now he knows better than running away from God. He knew better than running away from God, but now he really knows it. He acknowledges that the ways of the sea belong to God, 
He is the God of heaven, after all, who made the sea. Not Poseidon or whoever else is supposed to be the God of the sea. Just think of that in verse uh, 3. It says, The floods surrounded me, your billows and your waves passed over me. Think of some of the hymns that use this rich imagery, though the angry surges roll. On my tempest-driven soul, I'm peaceful for I know. Wildly though the winds may blow, I have an anchor, safe and sure that forevermore shall endure. Or when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. That's where Jonah was. He then says in his lost feeling here, he says in verse 4, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Being cast out of God's sight was his language of covenant punishment for disobedience. What did God do to Israel when they disobeyed? He, he's in Jerusalem, you know, the, the dwelling place of God, and he casts them out of his sight. The northern tribes off to Assyria, the southern tribes off to Babylon. That's what it means to be cast out of the sight of God. We see that in Second Chronicles. We see it in Jeremiah. We know that Habakkuk 1.13 says God cannot look on wickedness. And he does not regard the prayer of the wicked, but he does hear the righteous, Proverbs 15.29. For the Old Testament saint, if you weren't able to go to the temple or you weren't able to pray toward the temple or see the temple, you felt cast out from God. How did David feel when he was exiled from Jerusalem. Oh, how he wants to go back to the house of God to worship the Lord, even to turn toward the temple and to pray for God to do that for him. Jonah, though, had hope that he would once again be in God's favor and be able to pray toward his temple. He says in verse 4, Yet I will look again toward your holy temple and not be cast out. Could I just say, do you feel cast out of the sight of God? I hope not. That's an awful place to be. Seek God's face. Seek his face. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. you, you I asked that question earlier. Why did, he hear, why did he hear Jonah praying? God does hear the prayer of the penitent. Because being repentant toward God, listen now, being repentant toward God is righteousness. Does that make sense? Being unrepentant is unrighteous, is it not? So to be repentant is to be righteous before God. That's what God wants in us. So if you're being penitent, you're coming to God maybe as, as I was indicating earlier today the, for the first time, admitting that you're a sinner, believing that Christ died for you, confessing him and calling on him to be your savior. That's a good thing. That is a righteous thing. God will hear that. But if you're hard against God, your face is like flint against him, he will not hear. Verses 5 and 6 go over again the miseries of Jonah. He, re he repeats the pattern of, I, went, I was in a bad situation now, and, and God's going to deliver me. Look at verse 5 and 6 again. The water surrounded me even to my soul. He sank to the bottom of the sea, it seems, or down close somewhere down there. I mean, drowning is bad enough. Down that deep? I saw a story just now of a, a synchronized swimmer who passed out, fainted, 
in the water, and her coach had to dive down in the water, and they showed a picture of this limp swimmer just like float, not floating, but underwater floating, if you know what I mean. And the coach brought her back up and revived her. That coach has done that a couple of times over the years, I heard or read in that story. Uh, that's Jonah. Um, and then he says he's got seaweed wrapped around his head. How would you like that? If I just took a big old bunch of seaweed and just right around your head right now, that would be nasty enough, you know. But he had all that going on, the, the, the waters, weeds. I went down to the foundations of the mountains, the, you know, the roots of the, of the earth, the very foundations. And, and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever, basically thinking I'm a goner. Yet you've brought my life up from the pit. There it is, the, rest, the restoration once again. Verses 7 to 9, I have to quickly move along. When you're in distress... Remember the Lord. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, verse 7, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Look, those idols aren't going to help you. Those poor guys on the boat that were praying to their false idols, that wasn't going to help them at all. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. People today go after their false gods, humanism, psychology, medicine, science, education, other people. In the East, that's in the West, I would say, and all all throughout the world, but in the East you have physical idols. They're all demonic, both West and East, both, you know, the kind of education and enlightenment stuff and then the old, old idolatry kind of stuff. But Jonah recommitted himself to his religious responsibilities. Notice what he said. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give you thanks. What did he do before? He didn't give thanks. He grumbled and complained, basically. God, why are you going to send me to Nineveh? And then he ran the other way. So he resolves to not do that again. And then it says, I'm going to pay what I have vowed. That's wise. Whatever you have vowed, you need to pay. Ecclesiastes makes that clear. Of course, you shouldn't make rash vows. You shouldn't make vows today at all. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. But anyway, he was going to do what he said. Notice that Jonah is now doing what the sailors did before him. Remember the sailors at the end of chapter 1? What did they do? They feared God exceedingly when they heard that Jonah was disobeying him, and that's why the storm had come upon them. They feared God exceedingly. It says, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. This is verse 16. And they took vows. Sounds like Jonah's catching up to his compatriots on the boat. And then Jonah gives one final statement in this prayer. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, this is specifically true in Jonah's case. It was not just chance that the fish came by and swallowed Jonah. I hope you recognize that. God arranged it. Well, you have to recognize it because it says the Lord in verse 17 of chapter 1 had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. It was not good luck because there is no such thing and it was not just chance either that the fish vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. God arranged that too. But the statement is not only specifically relevant to Jonah, salvation is of the Lord, 
but it's generally applicable to every kind of salvation and our salvation as well. Spiritual salvation comes from God. It starts in our lives with God. It ends with God. He oversees salvation, not us. God is God in everything. Salvation is of the Lord. If you're saved, it's because, not because of your cleverness, not because you're smarter than your neighbor and you know, more religious or I'm spiritual, it's because God worked in your life. God brought salvation. God did indeed rescue Jonah. He commanded the fish as only God can do, just like he prepared the fish and he prepared the storm. God is sovereign over all things, and he had Jonah experience one final unpleasantness. But undoubtedly, that's maybe the one and only time Jonah was glad to be vomited or part of vomit out of this fish. He probably had a few other consequences to deal with for a few days. He needed some rest, a serious bath, food, and uh, you know, maybe some PTSD counseling. No, I'm just kidding. He trusted the Lord. I'm not making light of that, by the way. Not making light of it at all, but he knew what God wanted him to do. And he was very happy to be back in the land of the living. He was not going to disobey God again. He would have another day and another chance to obey the Most High. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the opportunity to look at Jonah's prayer and to see how he dealt with this distress and this affliction in his life. He turned his attention to God. He was penitent. He turned away from his own path of running from God. And Lord, we acknowledge that you used a very traumatic and very unpleasant experience in his life to bring bring him to attention. Lord, I pray that we would learn from his example and that we would follow you and obey you in everything that we know from your word and not run away from God. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to invite you to turn your hymnals to hymn 399. And uh, Dan is going to lead that while we get ourselves ready for our baptism, and we'll be back in just a moment. That'll serve to uh, pick up a little bit, but I never have microphones close to the water because it's too dangerous. Uh, there are 48 volts coming through those wires to feed those microphones, so that can be a bad situation. But So we'll have to uh, deal with this without the microphone. Join me in prayer, would you please? Father, we look forward to this service together. We pray that you will help uh, those who are giving testimony and being baptized today. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this special ordinance that you have delivered to the church. We thank you that we can be obedient to the Great Commission today to not only have had made disciples, but also to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you for the influence of their families, their parents, and the uh, augment that the church has been to that to support what is happening in the home uh, to help these young people come to know Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, I'm going to ask Connor if he will come first, and uh, we will have him read his testimony. You want to do this right here, or you want to do it with the microphone? Right here, okay. Do it nice and loud, okay? And before I get started, I have asked uh, Kevin to help us uh, this morning. You know I always have an assistant on the other side of the tank to help uh, lower these guys down. We don't want them to think that they're going to the moorings of the earth and the seaweed is wrapping around their heads before they come up out of here. So uh, go ahead and read your testimony. When I was about six years old, the first year we moved into our new house, I, was, I wanted to be saved, so I could know Jesus more. My mom talked to me about the steps to be saved. saved. So I prayed, I needed you to have everlasting life. I need you in my heart so I can go to heaven with you. I want to be saved. I want to be saved because I need you, you to have everlasting life. Would you forgive my sins? Because I know now I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and took, and that he took our punishment for what we have done, and he did it to save us from our sins. I believe he rose again from the dead. My life is different now because I used to not talk much about how I knew Christ or how I went to church. But now that I am saved, I express it more because I know God and what he has done for us. When I sin now, I ask for forgiveness. If I say something bad to my mom, I say I'm sorry and apologize for what I said or did. I want to be baptized so that I can show a picture of my salvation to the church so, so that people will know I'm saved and will be with God for eternity. Acts 16.31 Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So, Connor, I'll ask you that question that I said before. Do you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Yes. Then I'm going to baptize you here. So why don't you get into the tank here and come right up here. All right, perfect. Now, remember, hey, stand up here for me. Remember, I'm going to hold you back here, and you're going to hold on to my arm, okay? And your dad and I are going to lower you down. Don't try to help us too much, okay? All right. <laughs> All right, and on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good job, buddy. Let's see. Gabe, you want to be next?
listen to that last sentence. I want to be baptized so I can tell everyone in the church that I am a Christian. Amen. That is tremendous. So I'll ask that same question again. Do you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Amen. All right, then come on up. Come on up here. How is it, by the way? Is it cold or decent? No, it's, it's not. Very it's very good. It's good. Okay. All right. We did it. All right. Then on your profession of faith, Gabe, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hold on to my arm, okay? Okay. There we go. All right. You ready? Mm -hmm. Here we go. There we go. Okay, not last but not least. Before I became a Christian, I would not talk to my friends about God. I wouldn't pray every night or read the Bible very often. I realized this was a problem. When I was eight years old, I asked my mom if she could help me pray. My mom was led to the Lord by her mom and dad, and um, she helped me know what to say to God when I prayed. Why did I need to be saved? I wanted to know God and go to heaven and have my sins taken away. And when I wanted to be happy, I noticed that other people at school were not happy. If I did not believe in Jesus as my Savior, I knew I wouldn't go to heaven. I knew that Jesus was God's Son, that he died for my sins so that, he would, that we would not have to take the punishment for them. Then he rose from the dead. I asked God to forgive my sins, and I believe that he did that. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. My mom says your life will be different, that I knew I would move out of the dark part of my life into light. Now every kid in my grade knows I am a Christian. I pray every night and sometimes during the day at school too. I pray to read my Bible weekly, which is much more than I did before. I want to be baptized because I want to show my church that I am a believer because I want to be able to tell my friends I am baptized and why. Very good. Did you all hear that? Yeah. Okay? Good. All right. Very good. So, Mackenzie, you've confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? Mm -hmm. Amen. All right. Come on up. And thank you, Kevin, for your assistance today. All right. Come on way up here to the front because we don't want you to hit your head on the back. Okay? All right. So I'm going to baptize you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to hang on to my arm there. Okay, ready? Here we go. Woo! I got some, too. <laughs> I don't have any extra towels. Oh, there we go. Yeah, we've got one there. Good. All right. That one got me a little soaked. <laughs> It's the tall ones that throw a lot of water, you know? Thank you, brother. Let's have a little prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you. What a blessing to see these young people professing faith in Christ and wanting to be baptized. I can sense they're, they were nervous. But now, Lord, I pray that they walk away from here with a great joy in their hearts that they have obeyed God and they've obeyed Jesus Christ. Thank you in his name. Amen. Amen. Dan, would you come and help us with the doxology, please, while I dry off a little bit? <laughs>
want to invite you all to stay for our lunch. Even if you haven't brought any food, we'd love to have fellowship uh, with you. Those of you that have a couple of tears in your eyes, moms and aunts and uncles and grandpas and grandmas, let them flow. It's worthy today. Amen. May God bless you all. And if there's anybody here who knows they need to be baptized, the Spirit of God is knocking, let me know. We'll do this again soon, okay? Amen. All right, let's have lunch together.